can a man be happy if he cannot serve his lord with his whole heart? Litany of the Adeptus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost Transmissions, a Battlefleet Gothic podcast set in the Age of Darkness. I'm your host, Stephen, and as always is with us our Lord Admiral, Austin. Hey. Today we're going to be finishing up uh, the uh, less horrible ships from the enemies of the Imperium, and we have another listener question, uh, because apparently someone took it to heart when they asked, or when we asked for more questions. So here we are, ready to answer questions and talk about space boats. Hooray! Yay! And in a second here, I'll be able to pull the question up. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Just you let it this out in post. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not. Or he'll just, you know, let it go. Probably. Um, so this actually is not so much a question from a listener, per se, but um, a discussion that I was having with Jason, who many of you will know is a member of our regular cast. Um, but we were just kind of shooting the breeze, and he brought up a question that someone had asked him. And that was, um, would a space marine make a better ship captain than a human with more experience? Ostensibly, an Astartes would function more quickly, but how long before experience eclipses those advantages? Would an Astartes with the same years and depth of experience always be to, superior to a human being, even in non-physical things? And, um... When we suggested this question to Austin, uh, his whole face lit up, and he just kind of vibrated for a second and left a little indention <laughs> in the floor. Um, so I know he has tons of thoughts about this, and like always, we're just kind of going straight into this with no preparation. So, um, Austin, take it away. I have so many thoughts on this. Um, so, as, as to like... You know, a space marine with 10 years of, you know, captain's experience, is he going to be better on average than a basic mortal with 10 years of captain's experience? Yes, right? Um, Actually, before we get too deep into this, we should probably provide a little bit of context. Um, if you're unfamiliar, um, space marines in general have a whole lot of uh, hypno-conditioning and cranial surgery that makes the brains real good. Uh, they supposedly have eidetic memory. They can process information super fast compared mm -hmm. to humans. Um, probably not as fast as a Magos, but, you know, still pretty quick. Um, they, all of that stuff is hypno-inserted into their brain, so it's really not something that they have to consciously recall. Um, they can pull up information the same way that you and I, you know, remember how to write just by muscle memory. Yeah, and there's actually a great um, bit of that in one of the one of the Ragnar Blackmane books. Um, somebody has to fly a Thunderhawk at one point, and like it, it's all a bunch of like blood claw equivalents, right? They, they just nobody sat them in a Thunderhawk except for you know in the back seat, and uh, the ones like eh, yeah, I can figure this. Like I'll do it. Like my my hypno conditioning worked pretty well, and he just sits in and doesn't really know what he's doing like he can't explain it to like there's a a navigator i think with them or possibly an inquisitor i forget like i said i forget which book it is but like he can't explain what he's doing to the human or to anybody else he just knows like how to do the takeoff sequence and fly a thunderhawk around and like knows about like aerodynamics and all sorts of weird stuff um that just sits in the back of your brain unknown 
until it's time to actually do the thing. Mm -hmm. um, space Marines have course, a lot of that. They can absorb uh, memories as well by eating the flesh of yep. uh, of enemies or anyone really, even eating the flesh of friends. You know, yeah. if they were Zenos. They were down to that. Uh, and at this uh, point, all of them have that. Uh, that's one of those things that some legions and chapters like lose. But I, th mm -hmm. I don't think. Um, anybody's like lost any of the major abilities of the space no, Marines during the heresy. the heresy. Everybody's yeah. got, you know, what they, what they're mostly looking for. But anyway, so there's the context. Space yeah. Marines got good brains. Yeah. They got good brains and it's not all hypno conditioning, right? Like they're because they've got, you know, all this quick reaction built into them. They can process data real quick and get you out an answer. Um, and that helps, right? Like, have have me study to be an admiral for 10 years have a space marine study to be an admiral for 10 years he's going to be better at it um not only because he can put that 10 years to better use because he's processing things so much quicker but because he's giving quicker orders and, and this is something that's really important um in naval warfare you know kind of of the time period that they're aiming for which is sort of that world war one world war two right like that's the vibe 30k wants for its spaceship fights um, and just being in space in general, being able to hold everything in your head is super important. Um, and being able to do it for a long time is super important. Like it's great. You've got the, you know, the 3d plot that tells you where everybody is. Um, but if somebody says, you know, Hey, you know, decision, you got to pick something right now or everybody's going to die, you know, you don't really have time to hit pause and ponder your 3D map of the battle sphere, you know? Um, yeah, so you space can't ponder that orb. Yeah, can't ponder that orb. Uh, space Marines are more likely to be able to hold more factors in their head at once. You know, like a really good human admiral might be able to say, okay, I know where all, you know, 30 capital ships and, uh, you know, the eight escort squadrons, I know their positions in this battle. I know generally what everybody's doing. Great. A space Marine might be able to tell you like where individual like pairs of attack craft are or should be in that fight just because they can process so much more data uh, so much quickly or so much more quickly. That being said, um, a human admiral is going to have some benefits over an Astartes Admiral that don't really seem uh, obvious on the face of things because like, all right, you've got this Space Marine. He's better than everybody else. Great. Um, but Space Marines are notoriously bad at understanding normal humans. Uh, like, it's yeah. something you see <laughs> over and over and over They're and over just and over terrible again. at it. Um, and it's one of the reasons why after the heresy, Space Marines aren't in charge of like humans anymore. Because during the heresy, space marines just got so many humans killed. Um, what do you mean you can't march through a toxic uh, swamp yeah, with or no like, respirator? What do you mean you can't like run 30 miles an hour for six hours to get to your assigned location for this attack or defense or whatever? Um, and just like not being able to understand that like, hey, humans feel fear and so they're going to run away. Or like they get tired and being tired makes you bad at things. You know, I think the record for a space Marine is like 116 days. Uh, Just, yeah, nonstop. Of no sleep. 
and like 80 of those were spent in like shooting people combat. Uh, that's what a space Marine's used to, right? That's what they're capable of. And that's great. And that has a lot of advantages, but on a spaceship that counts for less. Um, so with, I think the example that we, we got to talking about before we decided to not talk anymore. So we <laughs> have something to talk about in the show, um, is the chaos fleets, uh, in 40 K that tend to have space Marines in charge yeah, on the bridge uh, somewhere, but, that's not reflected like their leadership is just as good or bad uh, as the Imperial Navy, which is just all regular people. Uh, and I think the reason for that is, you know, you've got a space Marine in charge and he might have, you know, we're like, let's go back to the Great Crusade, right? You've got a guy, a space Marine in charge. He's been doing this for 50 years, say, right? 50 years. He's been in command of this strike cruiser, uh, and by God, like, he knows the right answer to every damn thing on Earth. Uh, but his crew is just people, right? And that can cause problems because he doesn't know, like, all right, you know, hey, we got to shovel that nuclear coal in. All right, well, you know, I got five Ogren down there and I know, you know, the physics of how much their muscles can shove coal into the nuclear coal into the reactor. Um but if he gives an order that he thinks is very concise, but the guy ordering the Ogren to shove coal in, you know, it's his first day on the job and he's just a regular human and doesn't know quite how Astartes like express themselves in these sorts of situations, the whole thing can go up in smoke. Uh, and space Marines are real, real bad at even realizing that that's a thing that could go wrong. Yeah. To them, it's a, it- the, the mortal or mortal frailty is just it's baffling to them yeah even though they objectively understand that like okay a human's muscles can only put out so much force for so long or a human can only spend so many hours doing this one thing or mm-hmm. or whatever else it just confuses them when it actually happens yeah because they spend all of their time around other people just like them and the people mm-hmm. just like them can fight for a hundred hours straight and not even like slow down. Yeah. And you have to consider that it works the other way too. Um, humans can't read space Marines. Humans like what, who's this dude who's eight feet tall and wearing a predator tank. Like he's wearing a helmet. I can't see his facial expressions. Yeah. And there's, and they're known to like not really have the same sorts of spatial expressions as humans. They just come off sort of, it's just different, right? Yeah. Like the humans all the time in, in the books, you know, you'll, some human officer will for the thousandth time be like, and that's when I understood that Astartes weren't human. Like, yeah, homie. Yeah, bro. They're, they're a little fucked up. Um, although I will say, since we're on the topic of them being able to do things for ridiculously long amounts of time, uh, that that is a benefit of a space Marine Admiral, uh, is that he can stand on that bridge for all 200 hours of a naval engagement because these things take time, right? Like the Battle of Gethsemane was multiple days. Fall was a pretty drawn out affair too. Um, Like when you're fighting over a solar system, things take a long time and you got to be, you know, in a perfect world, the admiral in charge and the captain in charge of the ship, like they're going to be on the bridge all the time. And they got to be on top of their game all the time. And that can cause problems. Uh, 
like a space marine doesn't have that, right? Like he just stands there and lets his bioengineering uh, carry him through perfectly. And then, you whereas know, puts a, half his brain to sleep for a few hours. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, whereas a human admiral eventually gets tired and getting tired gets you sloppy and being sloppy gets you killed. Um, this is actually one of the things that, um, again, I'm going back to Shattered Sword, that book I talked about, uh, about the Battle of Midway. This is actually one of the things that happens there is that uh, the U.S. admiral, you know, the kind of the initial strikes went out and it takes hours and hours and hours to figure this out, right? Midway is a couple of days of everybody sort of knowing the other side is there, right? Uh, and the American admiral takes a nap. Like he literally gets uh, not quite ordered to sleep by one of his subordinates because obviously you can't. Um, but his subordinate is kind of like, look, we're not exp – like there should be nothing going on right now. You need to go lie down so you're rested for when things are ready to kick off. Uh, the Japanese who didn't really have that sort of familiarity between the command staff, their admiral doesn't take a nap. <laughs> and, uh, you know. He's just out here raw dog in reality. Four burning flat tops later, you know, like it's a bad time. Um, you know, just, yeah, like at some point a human's going to have to go to sleep. Even with, you know, yeah, you can you can feed a meth like the Nazis did and he'll technically be awake but that doesn't mean he'll be good at his job, you know? Like Yeah. And something else I didn't consider until just a second ago while I was pondering this uh, this question um, is that even after, like, so, you know, humans have a hard time relating to space marines. The bridge crew, their master so-and-so, you know, uh, is the captain of this strike cruiser for 50 years, right? And it took most of the veteran bridge crew 15 years to figure him out, right? Whatever. So another 35 years go by, and now they've kind of figured out, like, how to work with him. It's still not perfect, right? Because he's still a post-human, and they're still squishy mortals. Um, but they've more or less got it down to eh, something of a science. Uh, and then comes compliance of 1322, or whatever. And uh, Bridge Master So-and-So is like, hmm, well, the rest of my company's down on the ground. I'm going to go down there. And he gets killed by an orc. Like you do. Like you do. Uh, battle concludes, and they figure amongst themselves, well, we got to get a new guy to captain that strike cruiser. Send in Lieutenant So-and-so. He's a captain now. Uh, and now you got to restart the whole process over. Mm -hmm. It took 15 years to figure out the first guy, whereas a human captain probably would have been a matter of months. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there, there is that hard turnover. Um now, that being said, like we're, we're kind of harping on what can make a space marine bad at this. Um, but one of the good things about a space marine admiral compared to a human admiral is that you know the guy's going to be at least baseline competent at his job, right? He's got all the hypno indoctrination, you know, Alfred Thayer Mahan, you know, M28, all dumped into his head. Uh, so he knows all about how a space fight should be fought. And that's great. Whereas some of these human admirals, you know, it's, uh, well, planetary governor's second cousin, uh, his nephew is now he the He's admiral. never even seen a ship like, before, but yeah, now like, he's captain of one. Yeah. So, like, that that's why humans have a six, right, <laughs> in that leadership pool uh, for the guys that just should not be on a spaceship, let alone in charge. Um, 
but the Space Marines, you know, they can also get that 10 because, you know, you, you got 10, 20 years experience. You're as good as a human admiral. Plus, you can apply that Space Marine kind of super, super gene engineering uh, to just be that much better at your job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say another point against space marines sorry space marines but the whole argument is basically that humans are better at this um humans certainly uh not so much in 30k but at least in 40k they don't travel the galaxy the same way that a space marine does you know ultramarines fight from one end of the uh of the milky way to the other and they take their ships with them uh but admiral so-and-so of Battlefleet Armageddon hangs out in the Armageddon sector. That's where he's lived almost his entire life. Maybe he was born on Terra, but this dude spent the last 80 years sailing around Armageddon and the local neighborhood, and he knows the place. He knows which asteroids are where. He knows which dust clouds behave certain ways, uh, because this is this is his backyard. It's the only place that he ever sails. Uh, meanwhile, ultramarine captain number five rolls in and is like okay asteroids gas cloud i understand this but he doesn't know the asteroids in the gas cloud he doesn't know where the trees are where the rivers are so on and so forth yeah he doesn't know where the good beer is Mm -hmm. yeah no that that's fair point uh for the 40k version like you said the 30k is a little different um because all the expeditionary fleets and whatnots um but that being said, you could you could have the argument because, um, of course, even though we, we talk about like them being normal humans, right? Rejuvenate treatments are a thing, right? And have been for before the emperor was around. So you could ostensibly have a human admiral with centuries of experience being an admiral. Um, you know, maybe the fleet's not quite as grand as the expeditionary fleet he finds himself on, you know, maybe he was on the equivalent of a frigate and now the crusades kicked off and he's got a battleship. Um, but they could ostensibly have centuries more experience than the space Marines, especially early crusade. Um, when every space Marine is, you know, is an 18 year old, yeah, is like 20 <laughs> years old max. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Saturnine Saturn yeah, exactly. In existence for centuries. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting concept because, of course, in 40K, that you that's just not the case, right? Like, you just always expect the Space Marine to be kind of the older, more mature person mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you don't make tactical Marine until your second century of service. Uh, meanwhile, you know, friggin' Garvey is l- under 200 you know, Eacton Cruz, you know, the old man is like 230. Yeah. Like just generously, you know, like all the Terran Marines ostensibly are over 200. But that's it. And that's a pretty normal kind of, you know, senior, certainly, but a normal age. Somebody mm-hmm. getting rejuvenate treatments could hit and still be active in the military. Yeah. Uh, so there's also that to consider. Although that. Um, isn't quite what the question asked, but I guess it's it's good to point out that the experience factor of the human admirals could be much, 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 much bigger a gap uh, than we sort of instinctively think it could be. 
Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, I mean, you got guys floating in amniotic tanks in some instances. Yeah, like who, who knows, knows how long <laughs> they've been in there. Yeah. Which does bring me to another point, because um, again, like we're talking experience versus the Space Marines innate skill. So it's important to figure out, you know, just how much a head start these humans have. Uh, a Space Marine in the Legions, uh, and especially later on in the chapters, it tends not to be their full-time job to be the captain of a spaceship, right? Like, yeah, ostensibly, that's what they're doing, Um But a human who winds up the captain of a spaceship, you know, they started as an ensign on a spaceship and then climbed the ranks on a spaceship. And that's important. Uh, Whereas a space marine, you know, you start off as a battle brother, you're out there doing battle brother things, right? You're on a planet with a bolter doing stuff until you make rank. And then you're probably still, you know, in the infantry, quote unquote, you know, being a ground pounder doing stuff. Yeah, it's the army navy is what it is. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the Imperial Army Navy, um, that's all you do. And that's hugely important because what it does is it gives you that extra little bit of know-how. Like I was talking earlier about that space marine, you know, sending an order down to his stokers. He's never fucking being in that room, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. whereas a human captain, you know, you have that extra bonus of like, oh yeah, I came up through engineering. So I, you know, started out as an ensign on an engineering team and I've then I was a the lieutenant. Augury. Yeah. Like I, I know exactly how to make that Augren tick and I know what it's like to be the new, you know, stoker section chief. Uh, and so when I'm giving orders, I can kind of keep that in the back of my mind. Or like, hey, yeah, I was a lieutenant in charge of one of the Lance batteries uh, on a Gothic. And now I'm the captain of a Gothic. And I know exactly how long it'll take a crew to, you know, change out the couplings or, you know, yeah. do this or that. Whereas a space marine, they've got all the knowledge in their head, but that's book learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it ain't for gentlemen. And it ain't for gentlemen, right? Like the books can tell you it'll be eight hours to do the, to accomplish this task. And uh, that human might go, you know what? Fuck, I know we can do it in five. Or or on the reverse end, you know, the book says it'll take eight hours uh, to fire the lance and then fire it again. But the captain who started as a lieutenant on that battery knows, okay, it's actually eight hours and 45 minutes because – these parts are temperamental and this crew gets tired after so many volleys mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing, you know, when your weapons are ready to fire as opposed to thinking that they're ready to fire and they not be, that's the difference between being on a ship or being blown into space junk. That's a, that's a very, that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, it does work both ways. So like, and, and, and the a space marine is not really going to, again, he doesn't understand mortal limitations in the same way that a human does yeah and so he expects that gun to be ready to fire at eight every eight hours on the dot yeah and you know sometimes it is and sometimes it ain't and when it ain't that can be real real bad yep uh yeah so you know just just one more kind of level of of knowledge and accumulated skill uh that a space marine would have to overcome before he can actually you know, out Admiral Latara Saren. 
Well, uh, who can I guess anyone is truly out Admiral <laughs> I guess I guess that is our crowning point, right? Like if somebody asked who's the best admiral in the 31st millennium, it ain't Ascalon. And it right? ain't Corswain. It, it ain't freaking Fafnir Ron, you know? Like it's Latara goddamn Saren. Yeah, cuz nobody runs from the conqueror. Yeah. And really the uh it kind of all comes down to the fact that, yes, space marines are better than humans uh, on a one-to-one basis in most instances. You know, if it comes down to a guardsman fighting a space marine, space marine wins. No contest, right? Um, a space marine crew in a Predator versus a human crew in a Lehman Russ, space marine, 75% of the time. But a uh, battleship has a crew and it has a crew of thousands and every single one of those individual crew members uh, ultimately contribute to the efficacy of the craft and so it doesn't really it has less to do with the captain on the bridge a lot of times and more to do with the 50 guys under the captain yeah exactly and like you gotta remember and as Uh, Keeler said, it's all about the numbers. Right? And a fight is a very, very small amount of time, right? Like, even on the Great Crusade, a high-tempo Great Crusade, you're still 95% of that ship's life is just going from point A to point B with nobody shooting at it, Mm -hmm. without even the thought that somebody is going to shoot at it. Um, Or the crew killing each other. One of the things that makes a good captain and a good admiral is you're sort of like, you know, you're in charge of the crew, right? And you're kind of mayor of this city slash mom and or dad to the whole crew. And having a crew that trusts each other and can work together, even, you know, space marine ship, you know, imperial escort, still crew of thousands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if that's just sort of something you can promote among your senior bridge crew, you know, maybe the hundred people the, the captain might see on a daily basis, Uh, That makes a huge difference in combat. So if you've got a space marine who's just, you know, even like a salamander, right? The buddy broest of space marines to mortals. He's still a goddamn 12-foot-tall post-human monster, (laughs) right? Like, and that might be comforting in a certain way, um, but he's not the guy you sit around and make fun of data with while playing poker, right? Like. Yeah, and and so that that like lack of a human touch um, does does pose problems because that really tight you know close kind of family attitude of a crew can pay dividends further down the road. Um, and again, going back to Shattered Sword, which I really am going to start rereading now, um, that's one of the things that gets noticed is, hey, the U.S. Navy, um, because for all our faults, Americans really don't give a shit um, when it comes to authority as much as we should. Um, And that makes itself known. And like the enlisted guys on the Navy ships were much more uh, capable of like grasping the initiative. And the junior officers were much more about like, I'm going to do this well. And if I fuck up, you know, that sucks, but we're going to try it. Um, and also a fan more reliably giving their higher ups bad news, 
or, or telling them things that might make the higher up look bad uh, than the Imperial Japanese Navy. And again, that's one of those things that pays big dividends because there are instances, not just at Midway, but like other places where Japanese officers are kind of like, ah, I'm not going to be the one to tell the Admiral this, so I'm just going to not. Oops. And now that's just like World War II Japanese culture, right? Like, which is a weird thing, right? It's not really Japanese culture now or anything like that. It's its own kind of weird thing. But that Admiral, he's not the living avatar of everything your people believe in, right? Like imagine yeah. a word bearer on the command deck and then imagine how he's treating his mortal crew. And this isn't like a dig Steven against like word bearers, but even a word bearer that's kind of like a good dude, you know, kind of a nice guy, right? Nice quote unquote. His crew still thinks he's a fucking angel. Yeah. And who's going to be the one to be like, ah, you know, boss. Uh, sorry, Mr. Angel, excuse me. This this thing happened. Uh, fuck. That's going to make me look bad and you're going to think I'm bad. You You'll know what? You know what? You know what? Me with it'll that be, giant ceramite fist. It'll be fine. Right? Like what space <laughs> or the other way, what dark angel is giving the lion bad news <laughs> after he punches that chaplain's head off? Right. Um, yeah. But, like, this is one of the other things you got to think about is, like, yeah, you as the Space Marine captain might have the right answers for literally everything because you're born to it. Um, but if somebody doesn't tell you that a decision needs to be made or that a problem is occurring, you're not going to give the right answer because you don't know it's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that, that's another, another way a Space Marine can just go to pieces. And, I mean, like... That, that's a chance with human admirals too, right? Like, yeah, they get that all jackass time. boss. Nobody wants to tell him bad news. Um, but I think it's a little more likely to happen when your boss is a 12 foot tall superhuman <laughs> wearing a tank. Yeah, it's, it's not good times. Um, humans also tend to be more creative than space marines. You know, they'll think of problems or they'll think of solutions that a space marine would also probably think of, but it would probably take him longer. Yeah, a space marine is more likely to react um, with kind of a battle drill. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, just look at the ultramarines, you know, that the, the same problem that the ultramarines have on the ground being is that they're generally inflexible um, and all of their solutions come from a closely ordered, like, flowchart. Um, the same problem <laughs> would would affect them in space, you know? Uh, yeah. The batteries aren't ready to fire when we thought, okay, cycle outside of enemy range, but now the batteries are going to be... Like, a, a, an ultramarine might not know that... Like, if the batteries aren't ready to fire by a certain point, okay, sweep out of range, don't be where they can shoot us if we can't shoot them. Uh, a human captain might know a little more intuitively that the batteries will be ready soon... And they can stay in range relatively safely, but it takes a long time to move a spaceship. So, like, the ultramarine guy has got to take another however many hours to come back ahead, and now he's lost precious time. Yeah, and this is something that probably during the Great Crusade didn't have too big a problem, right? Because 
every Xenos race's encounter with space marines, like, they didn't have a whole lot of them, right? So you don't really get into that being able to predict, okay, I've, I've laid out the pieces exactly like this. And that space marine who's just going through his battle drills, right? He goes, ah, this is scenario C. I'm going to do thing D. But in the heresy, everybody's got the same ships. Everybody's got that same training. And yeah, every legion's different. Um, but the fundamentals are very, very similar, if not identical. Uh, and they just keep, they're doing these things to each other. Meanwhile, the human admirals go, okay, I know if I present a space marine with this, 99 times out of 100, they're going to do that because that's what they're trained to do. Um, the humans being able, like Stephen said, to work a little more intuitively can go, all right, I know my doctrine says that if scenario C comes up, I should do D, but literally everyone on this battlefield knows that. So I'm going to do F and it might look worse, but it's gonna work out probably yeah. they're probably a little more likely to take risks that a space marine won't just mm -hmm. because the space marine doesn't need to worry about taking risks right because he wears a tank for pants uh <laughs> but a human <laughs> a human might have a, a a little more might be a little more tricky no. alpha legion nonwithstanding. truth truth um so i think we're generally in agreement that yes even though space marines have a higher innate skill at any given thing in this particular instance void warfare um human ingenuity human breadth of experience tends to trump out on that and if you need proof just look at the gothic war that was abaddon himself and his space marine fleet masters getting spanked by squishy humans lord admiral cornelius ravenberg didn't and win the battle at Gethsemane for you to refer to him as a squishy human, Stephen. Is he squishy and is he a human? Honestly, he's got a lot of cybernetics. He's not as squishy as he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 12th, 12th Black Crusade, Gothic War. Abaddon was super horny for Blackstone Fortresses and the Imperium. Uh, I mean, he did get away with them, but not for free. Yeah, certainly not for free. Uh, the, um, the death or, of the planet killer was a was a key point of that war, because Abaddon, you know, and you might say, oh, it's because he's an he's an arrogant chaos champion, and uh, you know, he's he's wholly convinced of his own infallibility. Well, Abaddon is also notedly not a space commander. He is a ground pounding uh, Jesteran commander, and Abaddon. And it's like Austin said, you know, um, people might be wholly uh, unwilling to tell Abaddon that what he's about to do is a bad idea because he'll just he'll feed their souls to his sword. Right. Like he's not going to dress them down. He's going to kill them. Uh, so Abaddon sends his escorts away uh, and engages with the planet killer by itself and it is proceeded to just get pounded by wave after wave after wave of long-range torpedoes and destroyed. And Suck that's, it. It'd be like that sometimes when you don't have a crew who's willing to tell you, hey, what you're doing is a bad idea, boss. Um, yeah. Space Marines. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think my, my summation is that Space Marines certainly have a higher ceiling, um, but there's enough things that will hold them back 
that the vast majority of them are just going to kind of be as good as any human rather than actively better. Yeah, you know. There's a reason that Ravenberg is the hero of the Gothic War and not a Space Marine chapter master. Yep, because they got other things to do than fly spaceships around all the time. Yep. So, if you're like Jason, and that was a, a question that you that you generally kind of ponder on now and again, hopefully this has given you some things to think about. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we are going to finish up the Enemies of the Imperium fleet list. Hooray! So, stick and stay and don't go away. Hey folks, once again, thanks for listening to Lost Transmissions, part of the Remembrancers Retreat, a Warhammer 30k podcast. Uh, it's a new year. I'm sorry we, the last few weeks have been uh, all gas and no breaks in real life, so I apologize for not getting the episodes out on a frequent basis as I was planning to, but uh, here we are. Support from you guys has been always awesome. We definitely appreciate it, and we enjoy making this podcast and sending it out for everyone to listen to. And if you really enjoy our program, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at RR30K Podcast. You can check out our website, rr30k.com. That's also where you'll find, of course, as always, the Battlefleet Heresy Compendium. Books that Austin and Steven wrote, basically custom rules for Horus Heresy gaming in Battlefleet Gothic. Uh, again, if you'd like to support us, go over to patreon.com forward slash rr30k podcast. Uh, there you can choose a tier and become a patron member. And right now, we'd like to thank all of our patron members, starting with our Legion Praetors, Alex Self, Chaplanasar, Chris Mack, Jacob Dillon, Garner.Tree of Woe, Joe from Music City Heresy, Luke Rizzuto, Matthew Boyce, Michael Tisdell, Mr. Baldwick, Nick Quanga, Rena the Floof, Sar Luther, Taco Tuesday or Bus 22 Rock and Roll McDonald's, and What's Ligma? Our Legion Centurions, Aaron Maynard, Andrew N., Angry Boy, Dave Jones, Duncan, Ed, John Christensen, M. Tanzer, Gorecrow, Nick, Son of Tacticus, Void Imperatix. Our Legion Sergeants, Agrippina, Emily O'Hare, Garrett Lowe, Jay DeSales, Jay Grammaticus, Mr. Sear, Nick Gillen, The Zoy, and What Do I Call Myself? Once again, thank you all so much for your support, and here's to an awesome 2022. And now, back to Lost Transmissions. And we're back. Um, as promised, we're going to get here into the last couple of entries of the Enemies of the Imperium fleet. We are starting on the physical page 92 uh, of this second red book. We are on page 98 if you're reading it as a PDF file. Uh, starting with line frigate B, we kind of talked about A the last episode. We're here in the escorts, which, as you remember, are probably the most numerous of the enemies of the Imperium ships. Um, so line frigate B. Commonly seen, even in fleets whose civilizations had survived the old night with, certain amount of, uh, with a certain amount of technological regression, the quote-unquote beta class line frigate designation was used for any unknown escort-sized craft, which was deemed the rough equivalent of vessels such as the sword and the Iconoclast. Uh, it's Escort 1. It goes 30 centimeters. It's fast. Uh, 90 degree turns, 1 shield, 5 up armor, 1 turret. It only has weapons batteries, but it has 3 of them at 30 centimeters and firing left, front, right. Um, these, are, these are good little escorts to just kind of embed 
in those big blobs of escorts that are just going to strip shields Mm -hmm. pretty reliably. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're also, because they are so fast, right, they're Cobra fast. Um, You know, they're a little expensive. Maybe you don't run nine altogether, no matter how fun that would be. Um, But, you know, five of them is 15 weapons battery. You can throw around at 30 centimeter speed. Yeah, Uh, that's a lot. That's a, yeah, that. That should be concerning, right? Yeah. Like, you don't have an iconoclast, but you can pretend you have an iconoclast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, remember, this is also a list where you have those upgrades, right? The Eclectic and Esoteric, which we talked about a couple things ago. You can throw another five centimeters of speed on these guys. Yeah. Five centimeters of speed. Uh, they can end up with targeting matrices that, you know give them a shift on that table and they have 30 centimeters of speed or uh, 30 centimeters of range on the gun they're never going to be getting the bad shift for firing outside of 30 mm-hmm. um but within two turns they can be getting the good shift for firing within 15 and then you're looking at even more guns yeah yeah and so anyone like- who's blobbed up swords will tell you that like <laughs> you know yeah. uh you don't need lances to bring down hull points no you do not you just pour fire into them. Yep. Uh, but yeah, again, they're, uh, they're simple. They're yeah. short. Easy to, easy to understand. Unlike our next one, which yeah. I will say is my favorite. It was my favorite rules to write, I guess I should say. And that is the lowly Corvette Squadron. Falling between the smallest warp-capable Imperial warships and attack craft in size, the Corvette is wholly absent from the Armada Imperialis and the Expeditionary Fleets. However, these craft were close to ubiquitous among the minor civilizations with a void presence encountered by the Imperium. They usually performed the tasks of escorts compared to the frigate-sized capital ships many minor civilizations employed. Against the expeditionary fleets, these ships were worthless as individuals, but could be dangerous when massed in their dozens against ships ill-designed to fight such vessels. They are 30 points, uh, 25 centimeter speed, 180 degree turn, four up armor, uh, and then we'll get into the weirdness. So the first thing that you'll note about these is that they are escorts with three hull points, uh, which is fun because what this is, is each base should be, you know, two to five little ships on it, right? If you're, if you're modeling them. Because uh, these are things that the Imperium doesn't even bother sticking a warp drive onto, right? These, these are nothing. Um, but for these enemies of the Imperium fleets, you know, if your frigate-sized thing is your ship-of-the-line battleship equivalent, naturally you'll have something smaller that's not a fighter that's providing, you know, close support or maybe it has torpedo, whatever the case may be. Uh, and that's what these are, right? So... They have three hull points. Uh, they start off with two turrets and two 15-centimeter weapons batteries fire left, front, right. For each hull point lost, you reduce the firepower and turret value by one to a minimum of zero for firepower and one for turrets. Uh, and this is representing, you know, individual ships getting blown up. And, you know, obviously that degrades the firepower. And the weapons these guys have... Yeah, they're not going to scratch a capital ship on their own, right? They require a lot of coordination between those ships on the base 
to actually do damage to a capital ship, uh, which is why you can reduce their weapons batteries to zero and make them worthless against against ships, uh, but they'll still have that one turret so they can do a little bit of point defense uh, as they're moving along. Uh, ships that use the gunnery table to fire on Corvette squadrons suffer an additional bad shift, so a right shift, uh, in addition to all other modifiers. Uh, and capital ships may ignore Corvette squadrons when it comes to targeting the nearest enemy ship. Uh, and the thought process behind that is, again, these are things that are like the th a third the size of a Corvette, or not of a Corvette, of a Cobra. Imperial ships just aren't used to... Like, they're not built for that, right? They're built for firing at things that are at least a kilometer long. Uh, so it's hard to hit them. Um, that being said, if you're a lunar-class cruiser and you see three or four of these, that, you don't care, right? So you can just ignore them, don't even need to make the leadership check. Everybody understands they're not really a threat uh, and just target something else. Uh, and then their last special rule is instead of automatically destroying a Corvette squadron, critical hits inflict an additional point of damage. Uh, this extra damage can carry over to other escorts in the squadron. Um, because again, this is representing, you know, your one base is representing multiple ships. Um, so the critical hit that just instantly atomizes one won't necessarily atomize them all. Um, it just does another point of damage. You don't roll on the critical table or anything like that. It just does, you know, that one point becomes two, uh, and we let it carry on to other escorts because again, these can be paired up with, you know, your escort, your carriers or your various types of frigates. Um, but it could cause damage to them too, presumably because, you know, their little warp core implodes or they run into somebody and, uh, their squadron mate can have a bad time. And they're fun, right? They're dirt cheap. 30 points. They got plenty of hold to soak up fire. Uh, and they're a lot of fun to stick a couple in. Um, maybe not so much if you've got a squadron of line frigate B, right? Because they're 30 centimeters. But the line frigate A, uh, or especially the carriers, put a few of these in there with them uh, and make them, you know, Make, make those Space Marines and Thunderhawks a little less likely to come over and play, right? <laughs> yeah, it's all fun and games until, you know, you run into a Corvette squadron and they just nail you with a bunch of turrets. Yeah, because, you know, they got two turrets apiece. Uh, your carrier only has one, right? It's too busy, you know, being a giant hangar to defend itself. Uh, and that's honestly, that's the way you get rid of the carriers is you, you dump uh, friggin' Thunderhawks on them or assault boats or something like that. But if you keep a Corvette squadron, a couple of Corvette squadrons in, in like base to base, again, dirt cheap, they're sharing turrets, they're doing all sorts of nasty things to the enemy, uh, which is delightful. Yeah, and like Austin said, you know, dirt cheap, 30 points. I, I can't think of any other ship that's that cheap. With a Cobra. The Cobra, is that the only one? That's the only one. That's, that's yeah. literally it. And I think I like these better than the Cobra. I mean, it's they're a little different, right? Like, they're, they're not doing damage. I mean, 90 points gets you more whole points than a cruiser. Yeah, that's, that's the other point where they shine, 
is in those situations where like, ah, oh, I could send an escort squadron in there, but it's going to take a pounding. Send in the Corvettes. Because remember, uh, capital ships may ignore Corvette squadrons when it comes to targeting the nearest enemy ship. That's fine and dandy. If you have a full unit, you know, a squadron of Corvette squadrons, but if you've mixed them in to a regular squadron and you just put them in front, they can just be bullet soaks. And that's delightful. Bullet soaks and you're really not losing anything for losing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, sure, the enemy's hitting a little better, right? Because the other uh, escorts are armor five and these guys are only armor four. But again, three hole points to chew through. That's, that's more than compensating for the fact yeah. that the enemy might get, you know, an extra hit or two. Yeah, uh, at 25 centimeters, they're pretty decent interdiction vessels as well. Um, remember that escorts can, it's ill-advised, but they can um, perform boarding actions and they can ram. Um, so, you know, the little flavor text down there speaks of a whole horde of Corvettes ramming the bridge off of a, uh, off of a cruiser, which sounds silly until you realize that orcs do the same thing and you're not playing orcs, but you could be with a Corvette squadron. Right? Uh, yeah, because that's a thought, right? Like, in a boarding action, these these sorts of ships, these kind of tiny, mid-sized things, probably aren't standing 100 kilometers off and, like, launching boarding pods or, you know, putting guys on jetpacks to cover the rest of that distance. Mm-hmm. Like what happens when capital ships board each other, Right. These guys are probably flying right up and just sticking themselves to the hull and dumping 50 dudes out. Yeah, that 50 dudes, Dictator has a crew of 32,000. But if there's 50 of them, you know, suddenly it's a problem. Uh, So, yeah, I, I think they're... They're a, they're a neat trick for boarding actions. Uh, they're also great interdiction for enemy attack craft because they're so dirt cheap that you don't really feel bad about like, oh, there's a massive wave of enemy bombers. Oh, no, yeah, just the, stick Corvette the Corvette squadron in front run of them. into them. Oh, yep. no. Uh, <laughs> problem yeah. solved. Yep. Uh, you can hide them in celestial phenomena and they just sneak on back out and start shooting at stuff. Mm-hmm. They're, they're nice little just pains in the ass. They're not going to win you any battles, but they are going to make it really annoying for the other guy to win. It's true. Um, and and we'll see. I also thought, I mean, we didn't put this into the rules, but I keep going back to it in my mind um, because these are supposed to be kind of the escort equivalent to a lot of these Xenos factions um, that you might see a, a scenario let's say, um, where you can put Corvette squadrons into cruiser formations and kind of treat them as ablative wounds for your cruisers. I'm just saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that might be a thing coming up in the future. Yeah. Many things could be coming in the future. Who knows? It's true. That 2022. Things that were. We'll see. And some things that have not yet come to pass. Uh, yeah. There's one other escort here to talk about um never mind the fact that it's destroyer b and there is no destroyer a we uncovered that mystery shortly before recording destroyer a is lost to time don't worry about it 
the less powerful destroyers were referred to as Beta Class, obviously inferior to their Imperial rivals, although as always were able to pose a credible threat in large enough numbers. It became a common maxim among the Imperial Army gunnery masters that even a torpedo hurled across space by a civilization that had only just understood the rockets used to propel it could still kill a ship that didn't take it seriously. These are your torpedo boats uh, for enemies of the Imperium. Uh, Escort 1, again, 30 centimeter speed, 90 turns, 1 shield, 5 up armor, 1 turret. Um, They have two 30 centimeter weapons batteries firing front, left, right, and one prow torpedo firing straight in the front. Um, Tiny baby cobras, baby's first cobra, and there's nine of them. It's a speedier falchion. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, and again, that one torpedo, it, it's, it doesn't sound great. And it does require a lot of them to kind of make that impressive volley. But again, 30 points, one. And two, don't forget, these fleets can take specialist torpedoes that never run out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Who cares if it's only one torpedo? If it's a melta torpedo. Yeah, right. Or like it's all guided torpedoes, all melta torpedoes. Bad things can happen, bro. You can have mm-hmm. a real bad time with this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great. And again, this is one of those things that uh, your Corvette squadrons can't really keep up with. Um, but that line frigate B can. And what you can do, you can mix and match these because it still has two weapons battery, right? It's not nothing. Right. Um, you might have like four of these and five of the line frigate bees or the other way around to kind of get yourself a respectable torpedo salvo, but also a shit ton of weapons battery. Yeah. And, you know, they're so cheap that maybe you don't mind that you, you know, you're going to be locking on instead of reloading torpedoes most of the time. You know, you put them in front, uh, they fire your volley, and then they're the ablative wounds for the line frigates. Yeah, and something that the destroyer, the beta destroyer, can uniquely do compared to every other ship in Battlefleet Heresy um, is because of its ability to take specialist torpedoes and not run out of them, uh, means it can take the guided torpedoes and the, um, the seeking torpedoes. You can bundle them up in a decent sized squadron and then just stand way off of the battle line and just fling maneuverable torpedoes downrange mm-hmm. every turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll find you eventually. You know, maybe they're only maybe it's only 5 or 6 of them at a time, but you know, enough torpedoes will kill a battleship. And because it's firing them, you know, you can move them about, you know, you can do your own turning, you're firing them from a distance. You can hit the side armor of those imperial cruisers that might, you know, oh, it's only 5 torpedoes, you need sixes to hit me. Eh, we're coming at the side. Ha ha! Problems. Suck it, nerd. Where's your emperor now? Hanging out on Terra because nobody loves us anymore. Yep. Aww. Aww. Poor Horus. Poor Horus. Yep, and everybody bitch. else. <laughs> yep. But that's about it for yeah. uh, that tiny little bit of ships that we had to talk about. Yeah. Behold the enemies of the Imperium. Yeah. They uh, are um the normal they're ones scary, anyway. But you know, they're not horrible. Not they like, indeed are not something that would perhaps keep me up at night. Yeah. Yeah. What would keep you up at night, you reckon? Something horrible, I don't doubt. Hmm. Hmm. 
Dun, dun, dun. Yep, but we're not going to talk about them this episode. We're going to make you wait for it. Ha ha. Padding out the holidays. Yay. Uh, well, that being said, um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Send us another listener questioner. Send us another listener question. Not another listener questioner. We can't stand up to serious inspection. It's uh, true. <laughs> but we do like answering other people's questions about things that aren't the thing that we made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, until then, though, you know, good hunting. Bye. Bye.